You are listening to Revival Talk. I'm Pastor Terry Bailey, and I want to thank you for joining me today on the podcast. In today's message, we will share our testimony of our recent battle with COVID-19. This is a testimony of God's faithfulness and provision in times of trial. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the dead. They overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We're sharing this testimony today because we're overcomers in the name of the Lord. When I left the hospital, the nurse manager came to do an exit interview. She said, you're a COVID survivor. And immediately, it almost came out of my mouth. I said, no, I'm a COVID overcomer. To be a survivor means you got through it. To be an overcomer means you, got, you conquered it. Hallelujah. And this morning, I'm not just a survivor. I'm an overcomer in the name of the Lord. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I was tested for COVID on August the 16th. I'd been to Washington, D.C. that week before. I'd been to Lynchburg, Virginia. I went to Liberty University to a kingdom business conference there. Was able to be there with Dr. Ben Carson, with John Maxwell and many great leaders in the body of Christ. I was with Swansea, my dear friend Swansea, who was there. And then I came back on Saturday, got back Saturday evening, was ready to preach on Sunday morning, woke up the next morning congested with uh, sinus and said, I can't go to church like that. I'm so glad that I didn't because I was going to test positive a few days later for COVID. The next day, which was August the 16th, I went, was tested for COVID. The next morning, the 17th, I got my results and it said, you're positive. My brother and my sister-in-law put me in touch with a doctor. All he really treats now, he's a retired doctor from the military. And he told me not long ago, he said, all I treat now is COVID patients. He sent us medication. We started on the medication. My brother actually went and had it filled. Him and his wife came, brought me an oximeter, brought us stuff that we need, brought us medication. And we started on the medication. We took the medication and I continued to get weaker. Every day I seemed to get weaker and weaker. But I was taking the medication. I called the doctor. He talked to me. He said, you sound better on the phone. I might have sounded better, but I wasn't better. And then on Monday, the 20th, I called him and I said, I'm not getting any better. I'm still weak. Now, I didn't have pain. I didn't lose my sense of taste. I didn't lose my sense of smell like some do. It affects everybody a little differently. But I called the doctor and he said, well, come up. And he said, I'll order you an x-ray, some blood work. But I didn't have to have the blood work. Hallelujah. But believe me, I gave enough blood to last for a lifetime. So uh, he said, I'll order some blood work, get a chest x-ray. He listened to my chest. He said, I don't find anything that causes me alarm. You sound good. You sound clear. He said, I even, don't even think you need the x-ray. So I went back home, and, and he said, just get some rest. I believe you're getting better. That was on Monday. By Thursday, I got up that morning. I couldn't breathe. And Beth said, your breathing's changed. She said, let's get dressed. She helped me get dressed. And she said, I'm going to take you to Abbeville to the hospital there, to the ER. And she called Didi. Thank God for Didi. We love and appreciate Didi. We go back for, I don't even know how many years now. It's a long time. We've known each other and 
they've been friends with us and part of our lives for a long, long time. Dee arranged for us. I can't promise this for everybody, but she arranged for us. When Beth pulled up to the, to the door of the ER, they came out and met me with a wheelchair. And I didn't even have to go through where you give your life history. I went straight to a treatment room. And I mean within minutes, they're in there making x-rays. And the doctor came in and he said, you've got to be intubated. I said, what? I thought I was going to go get an infusion, get some medicine, a shot, and come home. He said, look at your lungs. And he showed me the x-ray. He said, your lungs are filled. He said, matter of fact, you can't breathe standing there. And I didn't know this, but Dee Dee told me this later. Because she was involved with them, her doctor was talking to that doctor, and he said that my body was shutting down and said, had I waited any amount of time, I may have very well have coded and died, and there wouldn't be a thing that they could do for me. I, made, I asked him questions. I asked him, is there any other way than being on the vent? Man, I've heard horror stories about the vent. A lot of people go on the vent, they don't come off. But we know, don't we, that God's able. So I listened to what he said, and I said, look, I just learned to say, do what you have to. And before I knew it, I was on a vent. And I woke up while I was still in the ER. I couldn't move, or at least I didn't try to. I could see the lights in the ER. I could hear talking around me. And then I must have gone back out and drifted back to whatever they call it, to sleep. Because I, I just, I don't remember anything. So they showed me the x-ray. They said that I needed to be intubated. And they said, you'll need to be sent to a larger hospital. Now, this is where I ended for a moment, and Beth's going to start, and she's going to share from there. They did call me. Uh, I waited in the parking lot because we were operating off the last thing that we knew from his doctor that, you know, on that Monday evening, his lungs were clear. And so I, I thought maybe he was getting pneumonia. I didn't know that it was that serious, and he didn't know. That, I mean, he couldn't have, we've talked later, you know, he, he didn't know he was that serious. But, so I thought they wouldn't let me go in back with him because of all the COVID rules. So I just thought I'll wait out here and they'll probably give him some breathing treatments and send him home with breathing treatments and we'll just go back home. So they're contacting me and letting me know that they put him on the vent. And I was shocked. I was I was stunned. I mean, shocked is, I was totally shocked. And I just sat in my car and they said, we have to send him to another hospital, but we've called 17 hospitals and there are no beds. And they said, but we'll keep trying and keep calling. So I, I sat there and I, I prayed and I said, you know, Lord, I don't know where you could open up a bed and I kept thinking Greenville because you know my niece works there and I thought well if I could get him if he could get to Greenville my niece could check on him and tell me what's happening you know (laughs) and but everything in me my mind my I'm just saying Anderson just started going off in my spirit and I said well Lord if you want him to go to Anderson open up a bed in Anderson and it probably wasn't 15 minutes, the nurse called me back and said, we're sending him to Anderson. And I said, okay. And so then I knew, well, I guess I'll, I'll go home. But um, 
I'm still sitting there in shock and I'm trying to arrange things on my end and uh, I had COVID so I was still contagious and sick so I had arranged with Larry to pick up Michaela at Greenville Spartanburg Airport and I'll tell you when I called Michaela that was one of the hardest phone calls I think I've ever had to make because I told her I said I've never wanted to have to call you like this but I said they've put you daddy on the vent and I said I need you to get on the next plane out I need you to get home you come to Greenville Spartanburg I don't care what it costs you come to Greenville Spartanburg she was a little shaken as I was but I'm gonna tell you what God did within an, a few minutes she called me back and she said mama she said I got on the last flight out on the last seat on that plane within an hour she was in an uber going to BWI airport the uber driver so you can't make this stuff up the uber driver told her said oh my dad just got off the vent and he's making a full recovery you can't make that up that God put that uber driver there to drive my child on the worst ride of her life to the airport whose father just recovered from being on the vent and she did she came finally had some delays but she finally got to GSP and Larry got her and she went and stayed with Lachey thank you Lachey <laughs> and she brought Cleo I said come get this dog <laughs> and she did but so she stayed with Lachey until I could be at a place where I was no longer contagious but I left that hospital that day and I know myself oh too well and on the ride home, I told God, I said, it's me and you now. I was having some serious conversations with God. And I, I knew Terry wouldn't be conscious. So I knew that it was the brunt of all this was falling on me to pray and to stand. You know, it's one thing when you've got two people to stand. But when one's unconscious... <laughs> And, you know, like I told you before, he solves all my problems. So, uh, so now I had... A lot of them too. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am, and I told God on the way home, I said, I surrender all of my emotions to you. Because I knew that when the shock wore off, I was going to have to deal with myself. And so I just surrendered my emotions to God. I asked him to take control of everything that concerned me. And I just told him, I said, God, I want you to do what I cannot do. I want you to do what I cannot do. Because I didn't, I didn't, I knew that I was in a serious place. And I was sick, I couldn't, if I wasn't sick, I would have went straight to my mama's. <laughs> but I was sick and I, I had to go home by myself. I asked for the gift of faith to operate. I asked for courage. I asked for God's divine intervention. And I went home, and all that came to me in that moment was, you're back to basics. You're back to basics. When you're in a crisis, go back to basics. And I knew you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And I knew that that was my point of where I needed to stand and so I did. I started to stand. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 6, 13, that having done all, stand. What does having done all mean? How do you stand? Having done all means when you've done everything that the crisis demands, then you stand in prayer. And there, I did everything on my part. I got him to the hospital. I, I'm not a medical person. I couldn't help. I couldn't give advice. I, I had to stand spiritually. I knew we were under attack. I could... I knew what was happening, and I knew the seriousness. I knew that the enemy wanted to take Terry out. I figured out later he wanted to take me out, too. I knew we were under a serious attack, and so I said, okay, God, this is it. I said, I'm taking my authority, and I went home, and I sat on my couch, and I got my Bible out, and I prayed, and I said, I'm standing, and I said, I take my authority. Because, you know, we have authority. He gave it to us. If you're a believer, you have authority in Christ because he died on the cross. He gave that to you. And I took my authority and I said, I refuse for the spirit of death to even enter his room. I refuse it in Jesus' name. And I stood and I said that whenever I felt like I needed to say it, whenever the Spirit prompted me to pray that, I prayed that. I refused to allow the Spirit of death to even come in his room because I realized what was happening. And I loosed the power of life over him. I just began to pray the Scripture, whatever Scripture I could find, and I began to pray. But, you know, I am human. I had so many human moments. That night I had to go to bed, And I I slept sitting up because I could tell that my breathing was not so good. And I didn't want to, you know, lay down and cause more pressure on my lungs. So I sat up. And, of course, I knew what was going to happen. That spirit of fear tried to attack me. The enemy tried to attack me at night. I've been through things like in other areas like this before. So I knew what an attack was like. I was expecting it. I was ready. But I stood all night long. I refused the spirit of fear. I said, I know I can't be in fear and faith at the same time because they're opposite. They're the polar opposite of each other. And I said, I refuse to go into fear because I have to stand. I have to do this. And so I refused fear all night long. I would fall asleep for just a little while and then I would just jerk awake and it would be a nightmare all over again and but I refused I said and when I woke up that morning I didn't have fear like that again I refused for it to come and I asked the Lord to sustain me and to help me now I did have some moments I mean I wanted him to come off the vent quicker than he did he was on the vent for eight days that was a long eight grueling days (laughs) and so uh, I remember one night when I was sitting at home by myself and I just told the Lord I said you're gonna have to tell me something I said I've been praying I've been standing I've been doing a lot of talking here myself but I said I want to hear from you I said you got to tell me something and all of a sudden The presence of the Lord just filled that room. And the song started playing and coming back to mind. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. Now, I've I've not heard that song or thought of that song since I was a child. 
But that so I googled it and looked it up and I played that song over and over and over that night and that's how I got through that night. And my brother would call my brother Tommy called me so many times. I can't count the times he called me. But and he would just pray with me. He spent hours on the phone with me and he would pray with me. And he wrote a song years ago about being in the palm of his hand and how there's peace in the palm of God's hand and that's the word that he would give me you're in the palm of his hand and Swansea would call and he would pray with me and he would give me the same word God's got you in the palm of his hand so you can't make these things up you can't just say well two people just thought of that that's a catchy phrase but no that was deliberate that was on purpose and on along about, I was just going along, getting along, praying. I'd call Mama, and she would pray with me. Lachey would pray with me. Then I think it was on Saturday, Beth Newton texted me to check on me, to see how you're doing. And I said, oh, I'm okay. You know, and she, she offered to, to come over, and I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'll be okay. And then she texts me back, no, I'll, I'll really, I want to come over, you know, <laughs> And so we had an exchange a couple of times, but I was thinking, you know, I didn't want to give her COVID, but she let me know that, you know, she had her her nurse mask and uh, she had already had COVID, so she was still clear to come and all that. And I was like, well, okay, come on, <laughs> you know. And I know God sent her, God sent her to me, and she began. She brought her stethoscope, and she listened to my lungs, and she said, you have pneumonia in your left lung. There's something there. And then Lori Mundy came on that Sunday, and she was listening to my lungs. She said, you have pneumonia. And so I had already gone back for an infusion. I went on that Friday after they put Terry on the vent on Thursday. I took myself back to the hospital to get an infusion because I knew that I wasn't feeling better either. But then she comes and she said, you know, I need to take you back to the emergency room. And so she she just came in and she God so used her to bless me and to minister to me and her she literally took care of me and gave me a, you know, medical wisdom and got me back because I had developed pneumonia. And so we talked a couple times now how that was just the Lord, the timing of God to, to bring her to help me discern, you know, what I needed to do next. But when Michaela came and I was finally free I wasn't contagious anymore she she came on home I know she had gone to stay with Miss Nancy thank you Miss Nancy <laughs> a lot of things were going on behind the scenes ministering to our whole family in so many ways uh, she came on home and when she uh, walked in the door she said well when she came home uh, when she flew home and she I saw her she would stand outside the door and talk to me because I wouldn't let her come in the house and catch it. <laughs> so she said, Mama, she said, God's already told me Daddy's coming off the vent. And she operated in a gift of faith. There was a strength about her. And I remember, you know, asking God for the gift of faith. God, help us. Um, you know, he's strong when we're weak. And so there, here comes the gift of faith operating in her. 
And we were sitting together after on that seventh night. And we always called the nurse at the hospital at night around nine o'clock because the shift changed and they were settled in and more acclimated to talk and everything. So she called the nurse and the nurse said, well, we're going to do a wake-up test on him at five o'clock in the morning to take him off the vent. And it just sounded so loud to me, take him off the vent. And I just looked at her and I said, okay. And they said, he's been anxious and that's why we couldn't get him off the vent. So she talked to them about the medications that he was on and how, you know, steroid type medications really make him anxious. And so they switched his medication to help get him off the vent because that was news to them. So that was very helpful information. But we went into prayer that night, and I told her, I said, okay, we'll set our clocks and get up at 5 o'clock and pray, but I said, let's pray now, because we can pray now. And we began to pray and, and to worship, and the Holy Spirit just came in, and I just began to pray in the Spirit. And then the Lord spoke to me, and he said to me, go to bed and rest, for I neither slumber nor sleep, and I have you in the palm of my hand. Go to bed and rest, and in the morning, you will see what great thing I have done. And that was so amazing for me, and in that moment, and I, I knew, I told Michaela, I said, I believe your daddy is coming off that vent in the morning. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is telling us tonight. And so we did, we got up at five and we prayed and I said, well, let's go back and go to sleep. We'll wait for the call to come, you know. And at nine o'clock, the nurse called and she said, he's off the vent. Amen. Amen. Now. And so the last thing I want to share is, it's going to skip ahead just a little bit, but when he got home and things got settled and, and Michaela, she went on back to D.C. I was standing and washing dishes one evening and I was just trying to get myself organized because I knew that they were going to let me work from home and I knew that I was going to be juggling some things. So I was just trying to get organized. And the Lord spoke to me while I was washing dishes and he said, I was faithful to you. I can't be unfaithful. Because faithful is who I am. It's not what he does. Faithful is just not something he does or he randomly picks people. He, do, he doesn't have pick favorites. He'll do for you what he did for me. It's who he is. He is faithful. And that's why he's sitting here today. That's why we're here today because God is faithful. He's a faithful God. So when I came off the vent, I was so confused, and I started asking questions. And bless that nurse's heart. And uh, I want to tell you, I had the best of care. So uh, I had really good care, and I'm thankful. But I started asking questions, and she said, well, your wife's been really sick with COVID, and she wasn't able to come, but they've called every evening, and we've talked to them. And your brother's been here. 
My niece Tanya had come. I think she was the very first one to come to see me. She held my hand and talked to me. Uh, my brother came in and he told the Lord while he was in there, he said, I can't lose my brother. Because just a few weeks prior to that, we had lost a, a, young, a man who was like a brother to us to a car accident. I preached his funeral. And he said, I can't lose my brother. So he called Larry, let Larry talk to me. He said when Larry talked that my eyes moved and my hands moved. He called Sean, Patrick Williams. He called Swansea. He may have called, I think he might have called Pastor Jonathan Knight, called Beth, called everybody he knew. And then when he walked out, his next door neighbor said, well, what are you doing up here? He said, well, that's my brother in there. And she said, well, if there's anything you need, you call me. See, God goes before you and puts people on your path. So I was confused, and I started asking questions, and she did her best to answer what she could. She had other patients, I'm sure. But I knew two things that I could really think about and remember. I knew I had a family, and I started asking. I said, I, I want to know about my family. I knew I had a wife. I knew I had a daughter. And the second thing I knew is I could pray, and I could talk to the Father. I didn't hardly know who I was, but I knew I could pray. And I started praying. And I said, Lord, I need to see my family. And I mean, I said it, and about the time I got it off of my lips, out of my mouth, Beth walked in the door. And her eyes were bright. She was smiling. She was weak. I, she, I didn't know that then, but she was weak because she had been sick herself and had pneumonia. And she was just at a point, I think, where she was not contagious now, and she could actually come to the hospital. That's the quickest prayer I've ever had answered. So I've told the Lord, let's make this a habit. You can answer all my prayers now like that. I can say, Lord, I need a million dollars. And before I get it out of my mouth, somebody will write a check. Amen. <laughs> she told me about all the prayer that had gone on. She said, Swansea's got people all over Africa praying. She said the church in Panama is meeting every night at 9 o'clock, and they've committed they're going to meet till you're off the vent and you're safe. She said our church family has gotten up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They've taken turns 5 to 5.30 to 6 to 6.30. She said it's no exaggeration to say that thousands of people have prayed for you. I was blown away. I was blown away that people would care enough to pray for us. I mean, you know people love you and you know you have a church family and I'm thankful for everybody all over the world that prayed and every day I find out somebody prayed I mean I had across denominational barriers Methodist churches Baptist churches independent churches churches on the mission field churches that didn't know me that were praying and asking God to touch me I want to tell you God answers prayers <laughs> to say thank you just don't seem adequate enough. But I want to say thank you from the depth of my heart for the way that you prayed. And I'm thankful for everybody that prayed. But what meant the most to me was that my church family, and you're our church family, we're brothers and sisters in Christ today. We may not always see eye to eye. We may not always agree on everything. But here's one thing we know. We love one another. And when somebody in this church gets in trouble, we'll come around them and pray and intercede and believe God for them. I'm thankful for that. That meant more to me than you'll ever know, that you would take time, that you would get up early on the morning before you'd go to work and to have a full schedule, and you would call my name in prayer. I'm not here today because of anything that I've done. I'm not here today because I'm better than anybody else. God could raise up somebody far greater than me to do what I'm doing.
But I'm here today because God's people interceded and prayed and cried out to God on my behalf. My life was spared and I'm a miracle today. You are looking at a miracle today because people who love me enough to pray for me and I want to bless you in the name of the Lord. That afternoon they sent a physical therapist. If you're ever in the hospital, you dread to see those folks coming. And I told her right away, I didn't hardly have a voice, but I said, oh, you're going to send me home. I knew if I could get up on that walker that I could go home. I ate every meal they brought me because I knew if I could eat that meal, I'd get to go home. I couldn't stand up without, when I stood up, when she got me up on that walker, my oxygen levels just bottomed out. I couldn't stand up. I could barely get up. And I spent another night in ICU, and the next morning, my nurse, she was a little young girl and a young lady, and her name was Taylor, and she talked with a real southern accent. You know, she said, Mr. Bailey, she said, what do you do for a living? And I was so confused. I thought and thought and thought, and I thought, do I even have a job? (laughs) And finally, I said, and I was guessing, this is the truth. I said, "Uh, I'm a preacher. I never identify myself as a preacher. I always identify myself as a pastor. She said, where do you preach? And I thought and thought and thought, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure out where I preached. And finally, I guessed again, and I said, Greenwood? And I want to tell you, I could not remember if I was the pastor of this church or not. But about 45 minutes later, Bishop Ray Boggs came in, and he did most of the talking because I'm still very weak, and he started talking about the church. He started talking about the people that were praying in the conference. And the more he talked, the more I began to remember. And then I started trying to picture the church in my mind. I couldn't, and I couldn't picture it. I really couldn't picture it. I tried to go back, and I just could not get it all clear. Well, that day, they moved me into the room. The doctor came in right after that, and he said, we're going to move you into a regular room. And I was shouting the victory, man. I thought, that's a blessing. Because that means I'm a step away from going home. They brought food in and I ate the food. And they say, everybody complains about our food. I said, well, it's the hospitals, not the delicatessen. I said, so I'm just going to eat what you put before me. Amen. They moved me down into 798 on 7 South. I want to tell you, I don't know about the rest of the hospital, but that was the best room with the best nurses and the best doctor. And I had the best of everything. And I mean, they took care of me. And to almost to a person, every single one of those nurses were believers. They not only cared for me physically, but they prayed for me. And my main nurse, her name was Jessica. She attends Joel Talley's sister and brother-in-law's church. And Joel, as you know, was leading our Wednesday night services online. And he's like a brother to me. Listen, God orders the steps of those who know him and love him. And because of prayer, he was ordering my steps. So Beth came up that that day and met me in the room. And I asked her, I said, I want to just make sure. I said, are we still the pastors at South Greenwood? (laughs) She said, I am, but you're not. Amen. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) I was eight days on the vent. I was eight days in the room. I went to the hospital in the eighth month. And then the doctor told me that I would have an eight-week healing process. That's this week. When you walk through times of trial, when you walk through wilderness experiences, you have to find the ways that God is speaking to you. God spoke to Beth through songs. God spoke to me through the number eight. 
Eight is the number of resurrection and new beginnings. Let me give you just a couple of quick things. The ark, a type of Christ, passed through the water, the picture of death. And when it rested on Mount Ararat, eight people came out of the ark. That was a new beginning. The sign of circumcision was placed on a Jewish child on the eighth day. A sign of separation, a new beginning. When a priest in the Old Testament was consecrated, ceremony took seven days. And on the eighth day, the priest took up his new duties. David was the eighth son of Jesse. He was a new beginning for Israel when the prophet Samuel anointed him as the king of Israel. Solomon was the eighth son of David. Both David and Solomon are pictures or types of Christ who is the resurrection and the life. Bethlehem, I've been there, where Jesus was born, is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. There are eight cases of resurrection mentioned in the Bible apart from the Lord's resurrection and the saints who came out of their graves when he was crucified. There are three references in the Old Testament, three in the Gospel, and two in Acts. Revelation is the book of the kingdom and the power and the glory. It is a book of new beginning of the one who rose from the dead. In Revelation 1, there are eight references to the Old Testament. I want to tell you that eight was a number of new beginnings, and I learned early on. And almost every eighth day in this process, God has done something, and I make a leap and a bound. God does something of restoration in my life. And I knew in the hospital that when I came out of the hospital, I wouldn't be the same Pastor Terry Bailey that I was prior to going into the hospital, but this would be a season of resurrection and a season of new beginnings in my life and in my ministry and for our church. Now, the presence of God was so real while I was there in the hospital. Bishop Sean Patrick Williams came up to visit me, and I will tell you, when he walked in the door, the Spirit of God filled that room. I told him, I said, I'm about to get out of this bed and run down that hall. Now, I can't hardly set up, but in my spirit, I wanted to run. And then on Tuesday evening, while I was in the room, Beth and I were praying. The Lord revealed that they were angels in the room. They were four angels, and they were dressed like you would think a Roman soldier would be dressed. And they were holding in their hands flaming torches. Wow. And one thing Beth didn't tell you was that while I was on the vent, when Lori and Beth came, I think Lori and y'all prayed and prevented death from coming in that room. Lori said, I see angels around his bedside, and they're holding flaming swords, and they're facing out. And said he's protected, and God's keeping him. While he's on that vent. On Wednesday night, September the 8th. There's the 8th again. While I was in the hospital, here's what the Lord spoke to me. He said, rest in me. I'm working. I'm going to cause you to recover quicker and with greater favor. The fact that I am sitting here today without oxygen talking to you is a bona fide miracle. He said, I'm going to cause you to recover quicker and with greater favor. Listen to what he said. Your faith didn't fail or cause any of this. This is not a result of anything you did or didn't do. This is the enemy trying to disrupt my plans. But I'm going to redeem the time and there will be no loss. This was purely an attack of the adversary. Now listen to what he said. He said, because your church family stood in faith, got up early, and responded with such fervency that he's going to visit our congregation again with a tremendous outpouring of his spirit. 
I know we're a little past the time and I'm almost finished. But I want to tell you, God's going to visit us in such a way that when we're at the very end of that visitation, we won't look the same, we won't talk the same, we won't walk the same, but we will be transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in a greater measure and in a greater revelation. And God's going to use this church. We're over a hundred years old. And in 2016, we celebrated 100 years, had our centennial. It was a great day that day, a powerful day that day. But I want to tell you, we could say, well, the best was yesterday. The best was 20 years ago. The best was 30 years ago. And I'll just be honest with you, for the last three years or so, we've been in a wilderness season in this church. We, this, it's been tough. We've had to plow. We've had to stand. We've had to believe God. We've had to overcome discouragement many times. But I want to tell you, God has preserved us and kept us. And he's going to visit us again. And I believe it's going to revolutionize our church. I believe it's going to do more than just renovate us and just make us better. I believe he's going to change us and he's going to give us a new identity that's going to set us forth and we're going to become a church that is ready in the last days to reap the harvest that he has for us. Can somebody give God praise? I told Beth before she left that night, I said there'll be a shift. She had gone home and I received a powerful download of his presence. I was weeping and I told the Lord and I dreamed that night. And in that dream, my nephew Austin came to me. He's married to my beautiful niece, Jessica. They have two twin girls. And he was talking to me in the dream, and I said, this is not about me. This is to help somebody else. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, it's an honor. I don't believe Jesus made me sick. I don't believe he put this sickness on me so I'd get more rest. I don't believe that Jesus brings sickness and disease on us. But I want to tell you something, God had a purpose and allowing me to walk through this process. He could have healed me instantly of COVID. And I could have stood up here today and said I was healed instantly of COVID. But there was a purpose in the process. And you know what I told the Lord? I said, Lord, it's an honor to suffer for you. It's an honor to walk through this. And I want to tell you, the whole time I was in the hospital, the emergency room, everything, not once was I ever afraid. Beth asked me, said, are you afraid? Are you afraid at night when you're up here by yourself? I said, well, number one, I'm not up here by myself. There's a hundred people in the hallway. I said, so I'm not alone. Amen. What the enemy meant for my destruction, God turned it for my good. Let me give you a scripture. Can I finish this real quick? Is this all right? Man, I've been waiting for weeks. I, I've been trying to, not to spill the beans every week. Genesis 50, 20 says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Philippians 1.12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Listen to me. When you're laying up in a hospital room, I, in the room I'm on 12 liters of oxygen. I can't get up without my oxygen bottoming out. You're not thinking about getting a better car. You're not thinking about getting a bigger house. The things that are important get into focus. And I realized that what was important to me was my family and the kingdom of God. And I made a pledge to God. I said, we're going to run after you like we've never run after you. As soon as I can get out of this bed and run, I'm going to run after you like we've never run after you. Now, several people have asked me if I remembered anything while I was on the vent. And at least five people have told me this. They said that they believe God was downloading 
revelation while I was on the vent. And I don't have any memories of being on the vent, just a few, where I woke up and saw the lights. And one time I woke up there and asked a question. I don't know if that was when they were taking me off or what. But there have been two significant encounters that I've had with the Lord since I've been home. Beth and I have spent a lot of time praying together. We've always prayed together. And it's really the sweetest, most intimate times that we have in our home and in our marriage is when we pray together. And one night while Beth was praying, I had a vision. And in that vision, I was in the bed in the ICU unit. I could see me in the bed in the ICU unit. And behind me, there was a door. And immediately, I heard in my spirit the old saying, He's lying at death's door. That means death's imminent. He's lying at death's door. And the Lord said, You were lying at death's door, but death couldn't open the door because I have the keys. Revelation 1.18 says, I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And then the second one is the Lord gave me a mini vision. Again, we were in prayer, and I saw myself in the ICU unit. It was a little dark, but I could see me in the bed. I wasn't conscious, but standing next to my bed was a man, tall. Couldn't see his face, but I believe it was Jesus. And he had his hand on my chest. Resting there as if to say, everything's going to be okay. Those are the two encounters that I've had where I believe God's allowed me to remember things that were happening while I was there in the, in the ICU unit on the vent. Now, Psalms 37, 25 says, I've been young and I've been old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then this last scripture, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. I'll end with this scripture. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony.